It's good to see, good to see you all. I don't remember the last time we had this many people for Sunday school. Um, thank you all for being here. Uh, before we jump right into uh, the study, why don't we pray? Uh, oh, before I forget, there are outlines on the table over there if you want to grab an outline. Uh, there's a super helpful little little diagram that I made in about five minutes. Um, don't, it's not the best diagram in the world, but if you want to take a look at it, that might be helpful. Um, but... Why don't, we, uh, why don't we pray, and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you as we come before you this morning that um, you love to teach us. You love to teach us and our children and our children's children who you are and what you've done. Lord, as we uh, take some time this morning to, uh, to think about a few things, ask that you would equip our minds, that you would open our hearts, Lord, to what you have to say, that we would grow to understand who you are, but that we would also grow to love you more, and that our lives would flourish as we focus on you. Bless this time, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, just to kind of recap, and especially if you haven't been here for uh, a few weeks for Sunday school, we've been talking about covenant theology. Uh, covenant theology itself is a pretty broad topic, which means there's tons of things to talk about, um, which means that I'm not really worried about running out of things to talk about before next June. In fact, I'm more worried that we'll hit next June and we won't even have covered half of what we could talk about. Um, that's how important and big and all-encompassing covenant theology is. Um, so we've been talking about a few foundational things. The first thing we talked about was the covenant of redemption. Uh, that's foundational because the covenant of redemption is a, is a covenant between the three members of the Trinity to save the elect. Right? It's called the covenant of redemption for a reason. Um, this is God's blueprint, his plan for the salvation of his people. And in this covenant that the Trinity made, right, the Father sends the Son, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies uh, this salvation to uh, the elect. So this forms the, the, the foundation um, for all of God's workings in history. So unlike dispensationalism, right, which says that there are multiple different plans God has. When one plan fails, he puts another in place. Um, there's different dispensations, which means God is working in different ways in different periods of history. No, no, no. Covenant theology says God is working the same way throughout all of history. What ties it all together is covenant theology. Specifically, right, this covenant of redemption that flows out into everything else God does. So we looked at the covenant of works. Right, we talked about how this covenant at creation between God and Adam was one of, of works. It was not a grace-based covenant because Adam himself was responsible to uphold the conditions. And if he succeeded, right, if he passed the, the test, if he was obedient, then he would have earned eternal life. And if he had failed, which he did, right, he, eterned, he earned death for him and all of his descendants. Um, which means that after the fall, there is no hope for salvation by works, by our works. Right? There's no room for it. The covenant of works says when, when Adam fails, him and all of his descendants die. 
And that we talked about this, I think, last week, how there's multiple senses of that, right? There's the physical death that didn't happen instantaneously, but death was introduced um, to life. And then there was the, the spiritual death and also that the, the outworkings of that being fulfilling the command to be fruitful and multiply is now really hard and painful. The command to work and keep and have dominion is now really hard and really painful. These are all outflowings of this, this death that Adam has earned. But ultimately, right, we looked at Romans 1, I believe we did, um, or we looked at Romans 5, that because of the fall, mankind is under condemnation, is under wrath. That we are deserving of hell. And there's nothing that we could do to change that. So we talked about this last week, about how there's no hope for mankind to fix themselves. Someone else has to do something. There has to be salvation from someone else. And that's what we looked at with Genesis 3.15, right? That God initiates hope. He says, now there's this, there's this kernel of hope that he gives where this offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. That there's this promise that God is going to fulfill. Not because Adam and Eve have earned it, but because God in his grace has given this promise. Um, so that's where we will end up next week. But before we jump into the covenant of grace, and before we talk about all of that, uh, there's a few loose ends that I'd like to tie up. A few questions that were asked last week, a couple of things that have been on my mind that I want to talk about. Just to kind of wrap up, tie a pretty bow on some things, and then we'll, uh, we'll be able to move on next week. So the first thing I want to talk about um, is a question that Charlie asked last week. Charlie asked a really good question. He asked um, if Adam was a mediator or not. Because we were talking about the relationship between Adam and Christ, right? Where Christ is the federal head, um, just like how Adam was a federal head. That both of them were representative, representatives of their descendants, so to speak, in their respective covenants. That Adam was representing all of humanity in the covenant of works. So Charlie asked the question, well, does that make Adam a mediator? And I wanted to pitch the question to you guys before I talk about what I've thought about this week. What do you think? Was Adam a mediator or not? And what is what is a mediator? What do you think? What does a mediator do? Are we talking prior fall or after? Just generally. Either one. Well, before the fall, we didn't need a mediator. Okay. So it kind of makes a difference. Okay. We'll explain that. Why didn't we need a mediator? Before the fall, there was no sin. Mm-hmm. There was no need to, go, to have a go-between between God and man. Okay. And I guess in a sense, after the fall, uh, that wouldn't have worked either because Adam could no longer go between God and man to be that mediator. So mm-hmm. I would say no. Okay. So Dave's point is that because of... Because there was no need for a mediator before the fall, he wasn't. And he couldn't have been a mediator after the fall because he was sinful. Charlie? I think if we're just defining the term, a mediator is somebody that goes in between two groups, like between two parties. Mm-hmm. So between either, you know, depending on whether it's pre-fall or post-fall, um, the person, that, that's what the question was about last week about, Adam representing and being a federal head 
humanity isn't standing in for themselves. Adam is standing in for humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is referenced later with regard to Christ. I think in one of the epistles, where just like one man from one man that spread to all to many through one man, life spread to many. Right? Yeah, that's Romans five. Uh, yes, yeah, Romans five. So in Romans, it seems to intimate that like Adam is this was this mediator, even though we might anachronistically look back on it and say, well, he could have been because we didn't need him. Well, the need is irrelevant. It's that it's the covenant system that the Lord set up. Adam, you represent these people mm-hmm. in your obedience or your disobedience. Yeah. And that's similarly the same construct for Christ. Christ, you represent these people in your obedience or your failure. Either you earn it for them or you don't. And that's what Adam is doing. Either you earn it for them or you don't. Yeah. Yeah, so Charlie, Charlie's point is that because Adam was a representative, right, that's a mediatorial role. That's mediation, is being a representative for another group on behalf of this other group, right, to this other party. Uh, Caleb, you had your hands up. Uh, I just can't help but think about, like, when Eve took the fruit, and she ate, and she ate Okay. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. If there was maybe, if Adam had stepped in when Eve was being tempted or deceived. Yeah, that's that's interesting. G? Well, Adam did represent all of mankind, but there wasn't a need for mediation when he was the representative. And after the fall, he was disqualified as a mediator and therefore could not participate in that action. So let's back up a sec. Right, we're talking, both you and David both said there wasn't a need for mediation before the fall. What is mediation? Negotiation. Negotiation? A neutral party. Okay. Yeah, a neutral party representing two opposing um, a neutral party who negotiates between two opposing points of view. Okay, so G, G says that a mediator is someone who negotiates between two opposing points of view. Alright, Elaine? Sort of a matter of how you're defining representative in a mediatory you know, aspect, but it, is it really the same thing? And a mediator shouldn't be on either side, should they? I mean, a, a real mediator is outside of both sides, or or part of both sides, has interest on both sides. Okay. Maybe, maybe it's because Adam obviously was on the side. Maybe it's not quite the same type of mediator. <laughs> sure. I'm just... So, yeah, I think I, th- I think from a legal modern standpoint, we have the we would think of a mediator as someone who is who's looking out for the interests of both parties. Right? That if you were to think of a courtroom situation, a mediator would be someone who who represents the defendant and the uh, other one, whichever they're called. Um, right? They're they're trying to bring about the best outcome for both parties. I think that's, that's probably our modern take on it. 
I'm not, necess- I'm not convinced that's the biblical take on it, nor is it the covenantal take on it. Um, but first, Jonathan. I, I was thinking as like in a context of something that uses our language, but we obviously wouldn't agree with. It's like when you look at how a Roman Catholic would describe Mariology, so you describe as a mediatrix, and mm-hmm. saints are similar. Saints are similar in their system. You have someone who is there, who's not God, who's not you, but can communicate with both of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole priests priestly system in Israel was a mediatorial system, right? Priests were mediators because they were in between God and the people for the protection of both parties, right? We talked about this. Did we? When did we talk about this? I don't remember if we did. Um, Where God needs protection in the sense that his holiness can't be defiled by the people's uncleanliness. And the people need protection because if their uncleanliness comes into contact with God's holiness, they will burst into flames and be consumed to ash. Right? Like, there's, there's a need for someone to be in the middle to bridge a gap. That's, that's what the priestly function points to, right? And Christ clearly does that. Christ clearly bridges a gap between us and God because we need cleansing, we need salvation, and God wants us to be saved, right? And Jesus is the pathway. He is the only way to the Father, right? He says in John, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, If anyone wants to come to the Father, wants to know the Father, he must come through me. And then James, right? There's one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man, Jesus Christ. Clearly, that's a function Jesus is fulfilling. Dave? I was thinking of more in terms of a reconciliation. And Christ reconciled us to God by his sacrifice. Um, so that's why I, I, don't, I didn't think that um, Adam could be a mediator because he's not reconciling us to God. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. Um, Dave said that that's a reconciliation what Christ does. Right? And that's just Colossians 1, that Christ has reconciled us through his body of death. There needs to be reconciliation because the, the parties are at odds. Right? God and us are at odds because of sin, because we're enemies of God. We need to be reconciled to God. And Christ as our mediator fulfills that purpose. Adam didn't need to reconcile anybody because there was nothing to reconcile. There was no rift in the relationship. He was not reconciling God, the offended party, to the offenders, right? He was simply the go-between. He was representing, right? He's representing humanity, but he's not reconciling humanity. Um, so hopefully, John. And further to that point, I, I think Moses is a great example of that, where at Mount Horeb, the people got to see and hear God's glory, but they were afraid of being consumed by his fire, um, should they have to endure it any longer. So they basically volunteered Moses to go mm-hmm. in their stead. And um, even later when they fail, um, it's Moses who stands between God's anger and the people. He loses his cool too a little bit, but... Um, Not the first time that Moses has ever lost his cool. And it wasn't... Uh, his job there wasn't, uh, I would say, reconciliation. 
It was actually a wall mm -hmm. of protection for the people. Mm -hmm. And the Lord um, ordered that, that Moses be the one to come up to him. He chose him, he sent him, and he spoke directly through him. So I, I think there's, there's probably a little variation there between just mediation. I think we can say that there's also a, a protection there between uh, God and his people and the people of God. Moses, Moses, mm -hmm. is a good example. Yeah, Moses has the example of... of He's a mediator in a sense, too, where he goes onto the mountain um, so that Israel doesn't have to. He delivers God's word to the people. Um, Brittany, did you have your hand up? Well, it's just a slightly different point. Okay. Wrapped, but... ah, that's totally fine. Okay. Well, I was just thinking, if, if Adam was a mediator, he really didn't want to mediate very well. I mean, the only thing he thought was death, right? Which is really not the goal. Yep. Either he was a really bad mediator where that wasn't mediation. It seems like maybe the more similar thing is he's more the thing that Christ and Adam kind of stand parallel in is more like the Savior. Christ is the Savior and Adam is the opposite of that. He's the one who he's the un shift down. Yeah. You know, rather than and then a Savior comes and writes it. So sure. It seems to me like maybe it's not it was a mediation, and then Dave and others have said that it was, there was no mediator, or there was no need for a mediator at that point. It was just, okay. it seems like Adam wanted. So let me, Charlie. I think that a little bit of this is putting kind of the cart before the horse again. Talking, I think, about the need for a mediator is looking at what had happened and not what was instituted. I think we need to understand that Adam was set up in this very important role. He was to be the prophet, priest, and king who made God's image to all of humanity. And the only reason why Christ's mediation makes sense is because the first mediator failed, and now there was a gap. Adam was made upright to live before the face of God. He fell, and there left that vacuum there. Now we had nobody to fulfill that covenant of life of perfect, perpetual, and personal obedience. It was open. And now we're vulnerable before a holy God in his wrath. Mm -hmm. And then the promise was given for the second Adam to come. Someone that would be like the first but wouldn't fail. So I think Christ's mediation only makes sense if we can account for Adam. Even though it wasn't needed, what matters is the suzerain vassal relationship of the covenant. God said, you are this. It's not needed, but it was how it was supposed to be. And, and I think... Sometimes I think we're, we're starting at the end and going backwards. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Let's, let me tie together what a lot of people have been saying and try to make some sense of it. Um, so in the covenantal relationship, you have, in the covenant of works, you have three parties. You have God, who is the giver. You have Adam, the one who is given the obligations, right? You, Adam, are to fulfill this. Then there's everybody who Adam represents. So you have three parties, right? You have God, who gives the covenant. You have Adam, who has to fulfill the obligations of the covenant. And then you have all of his descendants, who are represented by Adam. Now, let's go to the covenant of grace. 
You have God, the giver. You have Jesus Christ, the one who's going to fulfill the obligations. And you have the elect who are in Christ, right? who Christ is representing. So look at that little super, super great diagram on your, on your handout, if you got it. Um, it's super, super great, high-quality graphics. Um, there's a parallel between the work of Adam and the work of Christ, that they are both doing the same thing. Adam right, is set up to be the federal representative of all of mankind. He fails, and so he communicates death to all of his descendants. That's Romans 5. So the one man's trespass, the many were made sinners, right? That through him, death came to all men, all men. Through Christ, right, he is set up as a second Adam, which means that he is, is doing the same sort of thing, where he's the representative, but instead of communicating death to his descendants, he communicates life to his descendants, eternal life, because that's what he earned. So you have those three parties, right? God gives it. There's someone who's responsible for it, and there's the people who benefit from it. And there's a parallel between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Because for Jesus Christ, I think someone made the point last week, for Jesus Christ, it was a covenant of works. That Christ did not have a mediator. He was the mediator. I think in the same way, Adam did not have a mediator because he was the mediator. Because... He is the one standing in our place before God and saying, I will do this. I will take upon myself the obligations of the covenant on behalf of my people. That if I succeed, they will be blessed. And if I fail, they will be cursed. Both Jesus and Adam can say that. Because... This covenant was made specifically right, with Adam as our representative. That if Adam had obeyed, we would have life. We would have eternal life. It's, it's hard to think about because we're, we're on this side of the fall, right? And we're talking, about, we're talking about things that didn't happen, but that could have happened, right? But if Adam had obeyed, we would have received the benefits of his obedience the same way that we received the benefits of Christ's obedience, The key key thing to keep in mind is, who is it a covenant of works for? It's a covenant of works for Adam, and it was a covenant of works for Christ. But for us, for those who are not the mediators, but the ones who are being mediated for, who had a mediator, it's a covenant of grace. Because it's communicated to us by grace. We did not do the works. We did not go to the cross and die for our own sins. Someone else did. And if Adam had not fallen, right, it would not have been us who had done the work. We would not have been the ones who who passed the test in the garden. Adam was, because he was the one responsible. He was the mediator. And if he failed, which he did, we would be cursed. Does that make any sort of sense at all? So I I saw Matthew's hand first. Uh, I might have missed it earlier, but you gave us what you felt was the modern definition. Uh, no. In the sense that you're speaking now, what is a mediator? A mediator is a representative. Okay. He is he is someone who represents another party, and whatever, wherever he goes, his the the people he was representing go to. 
Isaac, how would we reconcile that to First Timothy two five? Which is where it talks about for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So is that a different type of mediator that's being stated there, or is this one and the same? He's talking about the covenant of grace. Okay. So we're talking about two separate covenants, one Adam mediator under the covenant of works and then Christ under the covenant of grace yeah. totally separate right you're and I think we talked about this two or three weeks ago like can you have a relationship with God outside of covenant you're you're either in one of one of those two you're either in a covenant of works a broken covenant of works with Adam as your as your representative right I think Jesus talks about this as you know you're either sons of Adam or you're sons of Christ or somewhere um, somewhere someone said Right, you're either in that covenant, and therefore you are under condemnation, or you're in the new covenant with Christ as your mediator, and you are not under condemnation, but you are instead, you have life. John? Isn't that the law? Living by the law or living by grace? Right. Isn't that what Christ was talking about? When... Yeah, you either, you either live by the law, which means you're, you're condemned by works. Um, whose works? Adam's. He's already failed. Um, or you live by grace. Which means you are in the covenant of grace by faith. Christ is your mediator, and He's succeeded. And so that's where we get imputation, right, of His righteousness. That's where we get um, all of our sins going away. Like oh, He is our representative. Wherever Christ goes, whatever He earns and accomplishes, we receive because the Spirit communicates it to us. Charlie, I saw your hand. Uh, I think. Every single person that has ever lived is in in covenant to God. Yep. Nobody outside of covenant. Everybody apart from Christ is in Adam still. That's a part of our apologetic. You are condemned in your father Adam unless you put your faith in Christ and he becomes your new mediator. Yeah. Uh, Adam's mediation failed and therefore everybody still in him is condemned. In Adam all died. And, or, or Paul, Paul puts it in Galatians, right? That you are either you're in Adam, or you are children of Abraham, heirs according to the promise. That's that's grace, right? You are either in this covenant, or you're in the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with with all of God's people, the covenant of grace. Um, I will make one one last point, and then I want to move on. But I appreciate all of your your thoughts. Um, there is truth to the fact that Adam and Christ mediate in, a, in slightly different ways. Someone, I think it was Dave, already brought it up, right? That there was no need for reconciliation before the fall. There was nothing to reconcile. Christ does reconcile. So in a sense, Christ does more than Adam did. Adam, if you think about the covenant of works, all Adam really had to do, don't, don't eat one tree... And if you see any bad guys, stomp them on the head, right? If someone comes up and starts to deceive your wife, well, kick that sucker out, right? Super simple, super basic. He did not have to do a lot. Here's what Christ had to do. He had to be born into a humble estate. He had to suffer for his entire life. He had to be completely obedient in everything, including the Mosaic Law for his entire life. He had to be put onto a cross and killed and be dead for three days before raised again. A lot more 
than Adam had to do. Because Adam was not atoning for anything. Christ was mediating, atoning, reconciling, redeeming. Like These are all things that Christ is doing on our behalf as a mediator, but he's doing far more than Adam ever did. This is why the Catechism will say, why does the mediator have to be God? Because no man could do everything Christ did. So the larger Catechism, I think it's 38, says, right, why did the mediator have to be God? It's because no man could have done that. He had to be God in order to do all of that and for it to be perfect and to be worthy of, our, of earning for us eternal life. Um, are there any final thoughts or questions about mediator before we move on? Marge? It's a good question. So, again, the covenant of redemption is this inter-Trinitarian covenant where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all covenant together to save the elect. Well, save them from what? To save them from their sins. Right? The covenant of works is, is part of the Lord's plan. The fall was part of the Lord's plan in order to reveal the fullness of his character. Um, I actually was just about to get into this because Anya asked a question last week about why God started off with a covenant of works. Right? Why, why do that? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Because if we think about God's character, right? God is loving, he's kind, he's merciful, he's gracious. Um, and the reason is because God is also just. And the covenant of works demonstrates God's justice. Um, it demonstrates the fact that God will fulfill right, what he says he'll fulfill because he's just. Even though the fact that the covenant of works was kind of a softball, <laughs> right? It's, it's, this, it's an easy way for Adam to earn eternal life. Super simple. All you got to do, don't eat the street. Um, then in itself shows God's goodness, right? But the fact that God made this covenant and, and beholden himself and Adam to it shows his justice. That if God had not given Adam what Adam deserved, he would not have been just. But the fall shows that God is actually just. That he gives to people what they deserve. If Adam had fulfilled the covenant and earned eternal life, God would have been just to give him the eternal life. That would not have been a gracious act, but a just act, because God had covenanted himself, bound himself with an oath, that if he had refused or failed, he would have been unjust. Does that, does that make sense? So, the covenant of redemption, the purpose is to show the fullness of God's character, his justice, and his grace. So the covenant of works shows God's justice. So it fits into this plan by, by demonstrating that God is just. And the covenant of grace comes along and says, yes, God's just, but he's also the justifier of the ungodly. Both are true. So, John, I saw your hand. Yeah. Can't we see also the flip side of that coin? If Adam hadn't failed, God would have given him eternal life and therefore mankind after him. Mm-hmm. But God could not have revealed his grace exactly. without the fall. Yeah. So with the fall, now God's showing grace. And that's a big part of what we believe in is our saving faith in God's grace. Yeah. It's another attribute that we wouldn't have seen 
That's a great point. Yeah, we would not understand God's grace without the fall, because God's because that explicitly talks about right God's response to sinners, not giving them what they deserve, but instead giving them good things. Right, that's grace. And actually, I wanted to talk about what grace is, uh, but I don't think we have enough time. So we'll. I, I think I saw Matthew's hand. Do you have something to add? Okay, Marge, does that help? Okay. Um, because he was in a covenant set up, like God set up the covenant with Adam to have Adam as a mediator for all of his descendants. And this is, the covenant of works is, is a, what's the right word? It's patterned after the covenant of redemption. Um, because the covenant of redemption, right, Christ promises to fulfill the obligations of the covenant. And the Spirit promises to apply that benefit to all of the elect. In the covenant of works, Adam promises to fulfill the obedience, uh, to fulfill the obligations of the covenant. And the Spirit would then apply the benefits of Adam's obedience to all of his descendants. That it's, the covenant of works is meant to reveal part of the covenant of redemption. To reveal the covenant of works aspect. So that when Christ comes, we know what's going on. Right? We're not thrown for a loop and say, Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about mediator? What are you talking about a substitute or someone fulfilling the obligations on our behalf? We've already, we know what that is because that's what the fall is all about. Is us receiving the benefits of someone else's obedience. Or in this case, the curses of someone else's obedience. That's the pattern. Like the covenant of works shows the pattern of the covenant of redemption so that when Christ comes, we know what's going on. Right? We've seen this. And Paul talks about that in Romans 5. Right, This is the pattern that through one man's obedience, the many were made sinners. Through the one man's, through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Through the one man Christ's obedience, the many were made righteous. So that's, I was trying to help with that diagram to show the parallels between Adam and Christ. Because that's really a parallel between the covenant of works and the covenant of redemption. Obviously, the covenant of redemption is, is better, and we want that one. We don't want to be in the covenant of works anymore. Um, but this shows us the pattern. Does that help? Okay. Um, Michelle. So we're talking about, I'm hearing like three different covenants. We've got the covenant of redemption, covenant of works, covenant of grace. Could it be, I think you covered this in your initial one, the covenant of redemption is like, before creation and kind of an overarching and then the covenant of works starts after creation like within time Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of the start of the plan of the whole covenant of redemption it starts with covenant of works and then it works out Mm -hmm. am I grasping that yep yeah, I think you are. Um, I could, I could include another really great diagram next week with super great graphics that um, might help. Just kind of showing the. Um, there's one in a in a book that I read once that shows all the the covenants kind of visually. Um, there's a line right that begins at the fall and goes into the end of time. That's the covenant of grace. 
there's the fall. Before that is the covenant of works, but that's only in time. Over the whole thing is the covenant of redemption. All of the stuff that happens in history is the covenant of redemption being worked out. It's God acting in history what he already purposed to do before he created. Uh, does that make sense? Okay. I'll try to remember to put a diagram in, I guess not next week. I'm not teaching for a couple weeks, but when we get to it. Are there any other questions or thoughts, confusions? Charlie? Grace. Um, great. Well, we have 60 seconds. So let's talk about one of the biggest things in the whole Bible in 60 seconds. Um, grace is good. And, and you want it. All right. <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, so next time we, we meet, um, I think it's in three weeks. Um, Brett's doing a couple Brett talks. Um, we will talk about grace. Um, but thank you all for your questions and for your engagement. I, I feel like this is the most engagement that we've had so far in Sunday school. So I really appreciate all your questions. And um, you, you all are doing a great job. Why don't we pray? And we'll close for today. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for uh, your, your mercy and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you have um, purposed everything in history perfectly. It's easy, Lord, to, to look at our own lives, to look at our super short lifespans, and to lose sight of the big picture. But you have been planning our salvation for longer than we can imagine. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have brought us into it, not by our works, but through Christ's. Lord, continue to teach us these things. And as we worship you today, may you fill our hearts with an appreciation and an awe and a desire to love you and to know you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.